Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Mm. This is a very long text I just read, but you should have picked out as I read it. There's about four or five. I didn't count them exactly. I think there might be five different places where it says either with him or in him or in Christ Jesus with or in or united. There's actually the word united used there, which is like very clearly talking about union. But the ends and the widths, those that language is articulating this point that we're trying to make this whole this whole uh, episode here. Don't think I will even ask you to make Jesus Lord of your life. That's the most preposterous thing I could ever tell you to do. Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Whether you serve him or not, whether you bless him, curse him, hate him, or love him, he is the Lord of your life because God has given him a name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. Some of you will bow out of the grace that has been given to you and others will bow because your kneecaps will be broken by the one who rules the nations with a rod of iron. And I'll not apologize for this God of the Bible. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 3. This is the For the King podcast, and I'm your host, Rocky Ramsey, joined with my co-host and brother, Bryce, where we proclaim the edicts of the king over all his creation, that Yahweh reigns. Our topic today is union with Christ. Again, our topic is union with Christ. So we've been doing a series here on the For the King podcast um, that we've titled Gospel Foundations. And the question we're going to pose to start off here is why are we ending here? This is actually the last episode of of this whole Gospel Foundation series we've been doing. Why are we ending here? Or rather, could we have begun here? You guys have probably picked up on this theme throughout the entire series that we've done. But all these things run together. They're, they interact with each other in a unique, unique way when God is portraying them to us in his word. Um, I have a quote by John Murray that hopefully articulates why we're going to be ending here. Uh, this is the last episode of the Gospel Foundation series. John Murray says on page 171 of his book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, he says, quote, nothing is more central or basic than union and communion with Christ, end quote. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. Amen. What a beautiful quote. This is why we're ending here, guys. And hopefully as we go through the text and we, we learn today what union with Christ is, we see you guys see why we ended here and why this is really the foundation being united with Christ. So what is our union with Christ? Bryce, can you answer that question for us? Yeah. Um, like Rocky said, it's central to the, the uh, Christian life. And John Owen on chapter 21 of his ca- uh, greater catechism on of the privileges of believers Um, Question two, he asks that very question. What is our union with Christ? And he answers it this way. It is a holy spiritual conjunction unto him as our head, husband, and foundation, whereby we are made partakers of the same spirit with him and derive all good things from him. 
So that's how John Owen answers it. And even in his glory of Christ, it's he goes on more fully to describe it that just as a man and a wife are made one flesh together, so too, when we are united with Jesus, we are of the same spirit. Um, and, and John Owen's careful to, to mean that this isn't us uh, partaking of the divine, meaning that we become one um, as God, but this yeah. is our union with him as uh, a relational union, um, as Owen clearly indicates. So it's our uh, holy spiritual conjunction unto him as our head and foundation. So that's, that's our union with Jesus, with Christ, our husband, our head, our foundation, all of that. It's our conjunction with that great savior. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, Bryce, for reading that. So the first text, um, as we expand on how John Owen answers that, we're going to try to give you guys a glimpse into why John Owen, Owens would uh, answer it that way. So our first text to make our case today uh, it goes, is as follows, quote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And then he goes on to say, in love, he predestines us. So really beautiful text here. And um, we wanted to start here because this really gives us the the language in Christ, in him, in Christ, the in, inside of um, the person of Christ, the union that we have with him is he, is God doing these things. So even before, um, God is electing individuals. He's considering the union that they have with his son. Uh, in him, is he, is he being moved to act in these ways? So uh, the point here is the term in Christ is the key component of the passage. All of this choosing language is founded on a union with Christ that we are to have. It is there on the outset of his electing of persons. He has our union with Christ in mind from the beginning. Amen. Yeah, that's really well said. It's before the foundations is the whole point of the passage. Yep. That our union with him is, like you said, it's founded. It's guaranteed from the very beginning. And this is what the uh, the divines of old call the pactum salutis, which is the council of peace with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit to save and redeem mankind all through the foreordination of those who will be united to him. Yeah. No, I mean, I, th- this is one of the, I mean, so we've, we've read this text multiple times throughout this series. And why do we keep returning to the same text? Because we're drawing out a little snippet of a different facet of this gospel that God's given us. And, and today, like we've said, we're dealing with the union of Christ. Th- these are the words we're honing in on. Um, in Christ, in him, before the foundation of, world, of the world, is he doing these things? Um, beautiful. Anything else you want to? Remark on there. We have a lot of text to get through. Yeah, we have a lot. I mean, yeah, we'll just keep going through. Just keep focusing on the in, with, within, a part of, keep focusing on that language. Yeah, that language. You're listening to this. Exactly. So if we see union in his electing, as we saw just now in Ephesians 1, 3 through 4, how do we see it in his atoning, his atoning work? Let me read from you Romans uh, chapter 6, verses 2 through 11. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him 
through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that that our old self, no, sorry, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him for the death that he died. He died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is a very long text I just read, but you should have picked out as I read it. There's about four or five. I didn't count them exactly. I think there might be five different places where it says either with him or in him or in Christ Jesus with or in or united. There's actually the word united used there, which is like very clearly talking about union. But the ins and the widths, those that language is articulating this point that we're trying to make this whole this whole um episode here right. so uh yeah do you want to add something bryce yeah i mean that's just the totalizing of the christian life right there that not only have we been united with him in a death like his not only have we, we been united with him in his burial but also in his resurrection today we have a lot of christians who, who uh, identify themselves as being united with christ in his resurrection yet their sins have not been trampled over their sins have not been killed their old man the flesh that wages war against their souls has not been put in the grave yeah. and yet they think that they're with christ in his resurrection union with christ means that you're united with him in every aspect of his life and that includes his death his burial and his resurrection yeah so we cannot ally ourselves with sin any longer sin in our lives has been buried and we are alive with christ um, so this is this brings out the real key element of union that un- the union with Christ, like Rocky's been mentioning this whole time, it's totalizing, it's holistic, it's not just this weird um, uh, individualistic uh, type of doctrine. This is something that is totalizing in the Christian's life. So this is why it encompasses everything that we've already been mentioning. Yeah. So I think that's such a good point that we need to constantly be in and. Rem- uh, remind ourselves of, and I need to remind myself of, is that we have died with Christ and it's no longer us who lives, but Christ who lives in us. Exactly. Yeah. Amen. So the point of this text, we share in his death by dying with Christ in our new birth to be born again, right? We must, we must die. The old man must die. Like Bryce is saying, we are um, out in his death and the old man is out with, with, uh, to put to death and we die once for all as we are raised in his life, united in his death and then united in his life. It's, it's the same thing. We share in his death as we share in his life. If we went to share in his life, we must share in his death. The old man must die as Christ. He who knew second uh, Corinthians five twenty one. he who knew no sin became sin that we might become his righteousness, the righteousness of God. Christ became sin and put sin to death. We must put our sin to death. We must follow in his footsteps um, and then be united with him in his life. Truly live in him. Good. Yes. So to corroborate our union with his life again, let me read another text. Or sorry, three different texts. 
Um, I'm just going to go through these, Bryce, and I can comment on them real quick. But the point, the point of all three of these I'm about to read is we are alive with Christ. You cannot be alive apart from Christ. You have to be united to him. You have to be one with him if you want to be alive. You can't be, you can't be uh, alive without Christ is the point. So here we go. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, so there's four times there that we see clearly that, that we have to be united with Christ. We, we're doing all this with him, and he's the leader. He's leading us in this. Um, in the same sense that you're united, the husband and wife are united together, yet the man is the leader. He's leading out in all this. Um, Colossians 3, 3 through 4, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be re- revealed with him in glory. We come along with him. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, so with Adam we all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So with Adam there's death, with Christ there's life. Right. The kind of death that we have with Christ, though, is the kind of death that leads to life, right? We must put the old man to die to come to life. Uh, Adam, his life is one that leads to death. (laughs) So, good. And that really just further corroborates the point of the union that we have with Christ is, again, We keep. I want to keep hitting this drum. It's not that we become the same being as Christ. This is, again, all relational because we're seated with him in the heavenly places. We become co-heirs with him. Um, we have been, Christ is our life and we've been hidden in him. Yeah. And also he is our representative as not, as Adam was our representative for sin, Christ is our representative for righteousness and life, right? Yeah. So this is all about, this is a, this is relational language. This is not ontological being language. Exactly. Not that we become one with Christ in the, in, in the sense that we partake of his divine nature um, in that sort of way, but we yeah. partake of it in a different way, relationally. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if we want to, the reason why this is the foundation of the Christian life, um, because if you want to, like Bryce and I have been saying very often about this, the last series, uh, sorry, this, the last couple episodes about grace, how we're just benefits of God's grace. We have to be, we have to share in Christ, be united to him to receive the benefits in the same sense that we receive, cause we're in Adam, we receive the effects of the fall from Adam, we have to be united with Christ to receive the benefits. And the benefits are election. The benefits are redemption, atonement, propitiation, grace, justification, sanctification, glorification, all the things we've been talking about. But the first thing that has to happen is there has to be, like Bryce is saying, a relational component where Christ will give us these things. We can be found in him and receive the benefits. And that's why it is very closely related to election, as we saw in uh, Ephesians 1. God's choosing in Christ. There's a relational component where we receive it. It's not just a cold-hearted election. The in Christ, the with Christ, is where we see the heart of God connecting with election. It's not a cold-hearted, dead election where you just choose somebody to be on your team because you don't like them, but you choose them in love, right? There's, There's the relational aspect to it. Can you aim in that, or did I say some heresy there? Uh, a little bit, but I'll let it slide. <laughs> <laughs> so, reminder, the point, we're alive with Christ. 
And that's the only reason we're alive because we're with him united in. But we remember that we receive redemption in real time. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Here's the point. There is a time before God applies the work of new birth in election to us that we were separate from him, having no union or communion with God. That's what makes this doctrine sweet. Although he's think, considering the relational component of us being in him in Ephesians 1, 3 through 4, before the foundation of the world, there's also the very, the very uh, intimate reality that that still has to happen to us so we can rejoice when it happens. We can't presume that that's going to be us. We experience things in time. This is what uh, uh, John Murray says in his book, that book I quoted from earlier, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. He says, union with Christ is a very inclusive subject. It embraces the wide span of salvation from its ultimate source in the eternal election of God to its final fruition in the glorification of the elect. It is not simply a phase of the application of redemption. It underlies every aspect of redemption, both in its accomplishment and in its application. Union with Christ binds all together and ensures that to all for whom Christ has purchased redemption, he effectively applies and communicates the same. So it's a sure thing, but we remember that there was a time when we once were separate. We were alienated. We were not with Christ. Now we're with Christ. So anything you wanted to add there, Bryce? No, it's good. Okay. So now let's get a little Trinitarian up in here. Let's go, you know, we're, we're not tri-theists, but we are Trinitarian. So Uh-oh. let's, let's get a little Trinitarian. Get on Trini Trini up in here. Oh, <laughs> that was pretty good, Bryce. Okay. So um, as we get Trinitarian, let me read a text for you. First Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. We're sharing in, we're united in Christ. The point is the spirit is the glue by which union with Christ coheres. Trademark that somebody. Somebody. Uh, Do it before Rocky does. Yeah. Copyright or patent or whatever it's called. But I want, I want that sentence, uh, for sure, because I think it's beautiful, and I think I'm actually, <laughs> I think I'm saying something true there. I don't think I'm lying. Uh, anyways, uh, the spirit. This is this is the reason why I'm going here is because we want to see in this doctrine the beauties of the trinity, the Trinity and the Godhead, right, all working together. Uh, so, yeah. the Father um, elects, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies the work of redemption. Exactly, it's beautiful. So. When we want to think about our union with Christ, how, how do we stay connected? It's the spirit. By the spirit, we are baptized into one body, the, the body of Christ, one body. So um, do you want to add anything or continue on? Uh, yeah, I mean, one point on that would be in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it talks about how when we believed in the words of truth, the gospel of our salvation and believed in him, that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So that sealing... Yeah is is what's happening in our union it's a seal that is marking us as the it's like the seal of my like right now i know you guys can't see it but here's my wedding ring this is a seal of my union with my wife right the spirit like rocky's saying is the is the seal it's the glue that holds us together 
that shows the covenant relation that we have with God in our union. So that's that's really what Rocky's hitting on. And it's yeah. just such a good point that we the spirit is necessary in, in this act in the same way that the son and the father are necessary. Yeah. Here's another analogy I thought of. It's like we are Christ is a magnet. We are a magnet. Our poles are opposite. And the magnetic force by which we are drawn together is the Holy Spirit. That is the force by which it, we're being united, clicking together. Right. What do you think about and that it, one? In comes that, uh, I don't know what that uh, gay musician is, but, you know, the song Gravity. Oh, no. That, I, don't, I can't remember what it's called. But that might be John Mayer, bro. I don't know. John, that's what I'm thinking of, John Mayer. Yeah. <laughs> Gravity just yeah, we could, we could easily put that in there. But, yeah, that, it's the force. It's the binding parts, right? Um, okay, so. That's point, more like Star Wars than anything else. So. I'm sorry, what, dude? That sounded a lot like Star Wars. So we yeah, that's getting a little uh, <laughs> a little sci-fi pop culture on you. Um, where was I at? Okay, so there, okay, there's great mystery in the things of God. Union with Christ is a great teaching. So let me read a text for you, and then John Murray is going to help us out again. Colossians one twenty-six through twenty-seven. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So again, why are we ending here? Well, last time we talked about glorification, right? We were doing that, the glorifying grace. The hope of glory is that Christ is in us. That's the hope of glorification, that we're united to Christ. That's the hope of election. From the beginning to end, election's the beginning, uh, glorification's the end, and union with Christ is the, the stream that runs, runs alongside the doctrine the whole way in our Christian life. Um, and so, the, mystery, the yeah. mystery is this, that in the Old Covenant, there was confusion. How can God forgive wicked sinners? Yeah. How can someone like David be blessed because he, his iniquities have been cleansed from him? And that's the mystery revealed that Christ is in him, right? He's born exactly. again. So that's the beauty of that text right there. Yeah, that text is awesome. Colossians 126 to 27. That is beautiful. So agreed, Bryce. This is the this is the point. Uh are you union with Christ? And then we start seeing the spirit come in. This is a mystery. It's not unintelligible, though. It's made intelligible by the mind of God to us. That mystery is Christ in us. It's revealed. It's not a mystery. It is a deep, deep truth, but it's truth. Nonetheless, we can understand it. That's the point. So here's what John Murray says, which I thought was beautiful on page 178 of that book, redemption accomplished and applied. He says the wide range of similitude used in scripture to illustrate union with Christ is very striking on the highest level of being. It is compared to the union, which exists between the persons of the Trinity and the Godhead. This is staggering, but it is the case. John 14, 23 and John 17, 21 through 23. On the lowest level, it is compared to the relation that exists between the stones of a building and the chief cornerstone. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. In between these two limits, there's a variety of similitude drawn from different levels of being and relationship. It is compared to the union that exists between Adam and all of his posterity. Romans 5, 12 through 19, 1 Corinthians 15, 19 through 49. Like I was reading earlier from 1 Corinthians 15, that as in Adam, all die. And then continuing on. It is compared to the union that exists between man and wife in Ephesians 5, 
And John 3, it is compared to the union that exists between the head and the other members of the human body. Ephesians 4, it is compared to the relation of the vine and the branches. John 15, hence we have analogy drawn from various strata of being ascending from the inanimate realm to the very life of the persons of the Godhead. So it is, um, this is a truth littered all throughout God's revelation by vines and branches and the way plants work all the way up to the Godhead itself a unity, a, co- a cohesion. It's even present in chemistry when we see bonds, covalent and ionic bonds between different elements, right? This is a teaching. It's a principle by which we can understand what's happening between us and Christ in salvation. Amen? Yeah. I just think that was so cool. And especially because scripture uses so many different analogies for us to understand that. Um, this union not only is it is a good uh, truth, a deep truth that we can learn from, it bleeds into the saints' interaction with one another. Psalm 133.1, behold how good and pleasant it is, it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Let me couple that with John 17.21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that it, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So part of our witness to the world is our union with the Godhead and our union with each other. Here's our point. Here's the point here. Union with Christ will produce a union with the saints. That's beautiful. If you don't feel union with the saints at church, you probably aren't around saints. If you go to church, what'd you say? Or you're just not a Christian. Or or you're not. or, Or you're, yeah, exactly. Or you're not in union with Christ. But if you don't see union in the brethren, at church, when you congregate with believers, there is something wrong. You're not sharing in the Godhead and neither are the people around you. If there's an issue there and you might be the problem or others might be the problem, but you ought to test the spirits. And this is also when, when Christ talks about us being a kingdom of priests to God, that we are the kingdom of Christ that he has made by entering into that kingdom through the new birth. Um, and we're supposed to be the salt and light of the world. One large way that that's displayed is through our brotherly affection and love for one another, right? It's the same thing when all the pagan nations would look at Israel and say, what a nation that has just laws like this, right? And it draws them to want to be a part of Israel. That's why David can pray, blessed is the nation who has Yahweh as their God, right? So the union with Christ as it's originated in him produces like Rocky saying the union with the saints, which is the ultimate display of the gospel to the world. Yes. You, you, we must and should preach the gospel to the world, but we also display it in the sense of our union of what Christ has affected in our lives. Exactly. So it's, it's all of it. It's, it's whole encompassing. It's not like the dumb Pope said that you preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, use words, that's heresy. Um, because it's at the exclusion of preaching, um, Preaching is something that's already spoken, so it's kind of an incoherent statement anyways. Yeah. But our union is supposed to be a display to the world exactly. that does not have union. Yeah. Right? The but, only thing that they're united with is chaotic sin. Exactly. What so does that are, have real taste, real taste of union? Yeah, amen. What does um, our lack of union in the brethren articulate about our union with Christ? It says something. I guess I'll leave it at that. Yeah. The picture of union with Christ, that great foundation of all things spoken of thus far, 
consists in this, John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Abiding in Christ is the foundation. That's where spiritual life comes from. Uh, the union, being close to Christ. Your closeness to Christ will articulate that in spiritual health and your, your farness from Christ, grieving the spirit through continual uh, um, hard-hearted sin, right? You're not, you won't have as much life in you. So let's synthesize and apply. John 17, 21, uh, like I read earlier, that they may all be in you, as uh, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Let's, let's couple that with 1 John 2, 5 through 6. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says that he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So the point there is if you want to, uh, in the same sense that abiding in Christ is uh, how we bear fruit, um, that fruit is evidence that we are in him. That's my point here. Um, in the same sense that Christ had perfect communion with the father, therefore he was without sin, right? That's what perfect communion with the father looks like is the way Christ modeled that for us. Um, so if you want to bear fruit, fruit is an evidence of your union with Christ. <clears throat> we ought to walk in the same manner he walked. Uh, truly is the love of God perfected in us when that happens. So union with Christ produces union with the Trinity. Here's where we finish off our Trinitarian devotion here in this doctrine. John 14, 16 through 17. I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and you and he, uh, and will be in you. We see father, son, and spirit asking the father, the father listening, the son sending the spirit, the spirit being applied, applying all the grace, all the work, all the unity. So the point is unity with Christ produces unity with all members of the Trinity and our fellow brother and sister. Amen. Amen. Do you have anything else to add there? No, that's really good. Okay. Uh, So let me finish with one more text. And then we'll be, we'll, we'll be done. Ephesians 1.10. Um, so God has a, uh, this is, this is uh, Paul speaking here in Ephesians 1.10. He says, a, a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So um, God is, as we get to this, we're ending today, right, on this series of gospel foundations, and we're ending with union with Christ. And we read this last text because what is God doing with the world? What is he doing with other people? He's calling them to himself. He's uniting all things to himself. God wants union. He's, it's the ministry of reconciliation, and it comes through the, the feet of those who bring the good news. That's, that's really kind of the idea of reconciliation there. He wants to be one again with his creation, uh, but because it's, it's fallen and he's doing that work, obviously he's going to, going to accomplish it, but he's winning all things. He's uniting all things, things that heaven and things on earth to him. This is the end. And now we're going to get into the scope of the gospel, God's work in doing that and how he includes us in that. We'll talk about evangelism. We'll talk about discipleship. We'll talk about post-millennialism. We'll talk about a lot of things, but 
um, we're going to get into now the scope of the gospel, the work God has given us and that he's doing and accomplishing to unite all things to himself. Amen. Amen. And I, I, the reason Rocky and I are wanting to go this direction is because the scope of the gospel is the thing that has been devoid in most preaching. We, we so often hear um, pure, right doctrine that has no scope, has no range. It has no application to the world. Yeah. It's a, um, a calling, a fake calling of repentance and faith that has no regards for sin or that winks at sin. It's a fake repentance and calling of faith into Christ without true, genuine faith in the Christ who saves. Yep. So I, I heard from a, a pastor recently, he talked about a, a person preaching a, uh, a very faithful sermon on the doctrine of the limited atonement. And he goes up and he says to the pastor, like, what, what a great sermon. You really hit that. Um, you really hit the text very well. You exposited it well, but your, your daughter's up here wearing a miniskirt. Right. So this is the application of the gospel that we're wanting to talk about, that even though you might have right doctrine, you might have orthodoxy. It might not actually be ortho bleeding into your orthopraxy. Exactly. So right doctrine orders right life. And this is what we want to get into, is that all of life is for the glory of God and the gospel has scope to it. Yep. It has a mission. It has a purpose. It has, it has something it's aiming at. It's yep. not just this pointless um, doctrine of uh, Christ's burial, death, burial, and resurrection that d doesn't affect anything. It's it's a, the gospel that changes and transforms not only the world, but culture Yes, and creates culture. So this is what we want to hit on. Yep. Amen. And so, yeah. And, and just to reiterate the point more in my own words, when we see that Christ is summing up all things in himself, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. You know what that includes? The way you dress, the things you say, the way you operate your business, the way you condemn tyrants, the way you disobey tyrants. The way you build a home. The way you build a home, architecture. The way you conduct science. The way you develop a hypothesis when you look at the world. The way you make art, your interests, your hobbies, the way you walk, the kind of car you buy, the, the people you do business with and don't do business with, the people you talk to and you don't talk to, the kind of words you write, the words you say, the, pray, the, the prayers you pray, the people you make, make friends with. And the, David clearly says, even the way you sleep. Yeah. And in Psalm 4, he says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you. Alo you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. He can't even sleep ap right apart from it. Yep. It's exactly. all encompassing, totalizing faith. Yep. About to give it us. Yeah. We're talking about Christian culture here. That's what the scope of the gospel is. It's, it's God's world being made. He's got a kingdom. Kingdoms, kingdoms have traditions, arts. They have their, right? Like everything that happens in a kingdom, they're er everything, all the different professions. That is what we're getting at here. Um, Christian culture, the scope of the gospel, all, all really the scope of the gospel is in light of the truth of reality, how do you develop all your customs and traditions by which you live by on a daily basis until you, you're dead? Yeah. And that's what we're going to get into. 
and it does involve evangelism, discipleship and all that, but we're going to, we're going to be super practical with the things we say, and we're going to condemn things pretty hardcore. You've probably never heard condemned before because you probably thought it was neutral. You probably yeah. thought brushing your teeth was neutral, you know, um, that kind of thing. So that's what we hope to do in this next section. Anything else you want to add, Bryce? That's good. Okay. So expect on these Sundays now episodes concerning the scope of the gospel. We hope that the gospel foundation series was a blessing for you. I think it's been three or four months. We've been doing this series. I hope it really blessed you guys and you were awakened and revitalized to the truths of the the good news of individual salvation that we can be made right with God. But you've also started to see the totalizing aspects of the gospel. And we're going to get into that and we're going to apply it. So we hope this blessed you guys. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for those that tune in on a regular basis. Uh, you can always, you know, like the podcast or share it, you know, try to spread the word, that kind of thing. I've got a website at forthekingpodcast.com. I just released a new blog on the for the blog section. Um, but yeah, we just appreciate you guys listening. And we, re- we just hope you get just a little bit of truth out of this and a little bit of uh, reason to glorify God. That's what we want to do. So yeah, uh, if you have any inquiries, any inquiries or questions, you can reach me at forthekingpodcast.com. Amen. Good. Okay. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Soli Deo Gloria. Oh, wow.